0: Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to CBS Sunday Morning with Jane Pauly ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium, Apple Card, or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply.
1: This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment.
2: Good morning, I'm Jane Pauley, and this is Sunday Morning. Pennsylvania Democrat John Fetterman, as you may recall, suffered a stroke last May at the start of a hard-fought campaign for the United States Senate. Then just weeks after he was sworn into office, Fetterman was hospitalized for depression at the Walter Reed National Military Medical Center. This past week, two days before his discharge, We had a chance to talk with Senator Fetterman about his health, his recovery, and what comes next. I
3: just had noticed that...
2: Pennsylvania Senator John Fetterman talks about his struggle with depression for the first time. As it was described to me, you were agnostic about the question of living or not at that time. Yeah,
3: well, I, I, I never had any self-harm, but I was indifferent, though.
2: Coming up, John and Fetterman on Feeling all. Hopeful, hopeful on Again.
3: Beauty, uh, if you will.
2: By now, you've probably heard about the raging controversy over the social media app TikTok. But do you understand it? We've asked our David Pogue to help clear things up.
4: TikTok is the most popular app in the United States.
5: Everybody loves TikTok, almost. Your platform should be banned.
6: The thing that most concerns me, however, is the ability to control what storylines Americans see or don't see. But is China trying to influence us?
7: There's absolutely no indication that this is in some way manipulated or controlled by the Chinese Communist Party.
4: Ahead on Sunday morning, the battle for the future of TikTok.
2: Connor Knighton goes undercover this morning to tell us all about Pendleton, the company that's been weaving blankets for more than a century, plus Lee Cowan with some moving recipes from the pages of history, and more. It's a Sunday morning for the 2nd of April, 2023, and we'll be back in a moment.
0: You're at a place you just discovered.
2: Senator John Fetterman is home in Braddock, Pennsylvania, six weeks after he was hospitalized for depression at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center, where we talked with him this past week. I found Senator Fetterman hopeful, optimistic, ready to return to the United States Senate and his role as a dad. So. If we sat down, you would take the rocking chair. Yeah, yeah, that's that's me. That's At me, six foot eight, you, you John Fetterman correct. is still you know, a formidable you know, man you know. despite two serious assaults on his health in less than a year. He suffered a stroke in May, and after a private struggle for years, in mid February he entered Walter Reed for treatment of depression. We talked there two days before he went home.
3: I will be going home and be the first time ever to be in remission with my depression. And I can't wait to what it really feels like to take it all in
2: and to start making up any lost time. To colleagues, he seemed lost even at his swearing in. Later, Dr. David Williamson recognized major depression.
9: He had markedly reduced motivation and drive.
2: A neuropsychiatrist, Williamson has been treating Senator Fetterman.
9: The RPM in the brain, how fast you think and how clearly you think, is very substantially degraded when patients get depressed.
2: It's reversible?
9: It's certainly reversible, yes.
2: One in three stroke patients develops depression. 21 million American adults have experienced major depression. What makes John Fetterman's diagnosis unique, but not unprecedented, is a politician sharing it publicly.
3: My message right now is, isn't political. I'm just somebody that's suffering from uh, depression.
2: A former steel town outside Pittsburgh, Braddock put him on the map, and vice versa. Population less than 2,000, with high unemployment, low income, and a towering mayor with a Harvard degree and a penchant for hoodies and shorts, he was becoming a rising political star and an unlikely darling of the fashion world. What did GQ call you? They said you were a
1: fashion god or something.
2: His wife of 15 years, Giselle. American,
3: American taste god. And then the New York Times, I found out that I was one of the most fashionable or something.
2: That's right. Along with Beyoncé and Brad Pitt, Fetterman was one of the paper's most stylish people of 2022. It was an an edgy, modern
1: look. It was appalling. (laughs) Uh,
2: John Fetterman began his campaign for United States Senate last spring with the wind to his back. But after the stroke at age 52, he would fight headwinds until Election Day, when his health became the issue. Doctors at Walter Reed have, have discovered a serious hearing deficit, brain. further complicating the way his brain now processes spoken language. When I talk, what do you hear?
3: I hear you talking, and I can understand much of what you're, say- what you're saying. But my hearing has a deficiency that uh, it, that makes it difficult for me to fully understand 100% of it.
2: It's at some point, <laughs> you, you described what you hear as like, Charlie Brown's teacher.
3: Yeah, early on that was more, you know, months and months ago, whatever. But right now, uh, captioning is, is helpful for me.
2: I should get my husband one of those because when I talk, he hears that same wah, 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 wah.
3: <laughs> well, uh, yeah.
2: His reliance <laughs> on closed captioning had its it, biggest it's test ever. during the campaign's <laughs> one debate, which was widely considered a setback.
3: I'm the only person on this stage right now that has was con- can- successful about
2: pushing... The debate against. performance was not you at your best. Was that fair?
3: If I'm in the race and I made the decision to stay in the race, that it's important that I show up for a debate, knowing that it would be a challenging, and that's
2: what we did. And in November, John Fetterman won, flipping a Republican-held Senate seat.
3: I'm so humble. Thank you so
2: much, really. Thank you. But there was something behind that smile.
3: It's like you just won the biggest you know race in in the country. And the whole thing about depression is is that objectively, you may have won, but d- depression can absolutely convince you that you actually lost. And that's exactly what happened. And that was the start of a of a down a downward spiral
2: in the interim between the campaign, and being sworn in. At home in November, December, depression started gathering strength. Is that correct?
3: Very much, very much. I had stopped leaving my bed. I've stopped eating, uh, dropping uh, weight. I stopped engaging some of the most things that I love in my life.
2: Including time with Giselle and their three children, aged eight to 14.
3: I had a, a conversation with my 14 year old and he said, dad, what's wrong? We're, we're great, we're here. Uh, and you, you won an incredibly sad moment where my 14 year old can't possibly understand why you can't get out of your bed.
2: Someone you love as much as you love your son couldn't make you get out of bed. Yeah. Couldn't make you not be depressed. You stayed in bed. Yeah, that's true. But he went to Washington and on January 3rd was sworn in. People who know you uh, say that that day you looked miserable and lost.
3: Yeah, I I was definitely depressed.
1: (laughs) I think with depression, you're always waiting for, oh, that's the thing that's gonna change it, right?
2: Giselle read as much as she could find about depression. He
1: just became the senator, he's married to me, (laughs) he has amazing kids, and he's still depressed. And I think the outside would look and say, how how does this happen? But depression doesn't necessarily make sense, right? It's not rational.
2: He stops eating and drinking. I was at a
3: Democratic retreat, and many of my colleagues were coming up to me and asking, why aren't you
2: eating? Did you care if you were there or anywhere? Or nowhere.
3: I just showed up where my staff said. Robotic. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. As it was described to me, you were agnostic about the question of living or not at that time.
3: Yeah. Well, I, I never had any self harm, but I was indifferent, though. If the, the doctor said, gee, you have 18 months to, li- to live, I'd be like, meh. Uh, okay, well, that's, that's how things go.
2: A concerned doctor began making arrangements at Walter Reed, and on his son's 14th birthday, he agreed to go. What a waste if you hadn't. Recovery was weeks away. Yeah. For the uninitiated. Depression doesn't exist in the same sphere as love. So the question of how can a man not care about living in a world where those children you clearly adore are living?
3: It it makes me sad. You know, the, the day that I go in was my son's birthday. And I hope that for the rest of his life, his birthday would be joyous. And you don't have to remember that your father was admitted.
2: Oh, but wait. This is where your renewal began. His birthday is a day for both of you to celebrate.
3: Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. I'm looking forward to doing that.
2: You seem hopeful.
3: For the first time, yeah. Yeah. It's a strange feeling for me to have.
2: Your trajectory uh, from mayor to lieutenant governor, United States senator, was still pointing up. At 53 in politics, that's a young man. Can you have aspirations? Can you serve beyond the United States Senate?
3: You know, my aspiration is to take my son to the restaurant that we were supposed to go during his birthday, but couldn't because I had checked myself in for depression, and being the kind of dad, the kind of husband, uh, and the the kind of senator that Pennsylvania deserves, you know, that's truly, that's what my aspiration is.
1: Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio And producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
2: Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? It's the social media destination for all kinds of entertaining video clips. But is the clock ticking on TikTok, David Pogue is on the case.
4: TikTok is the most popular app in the United States. 150 million Americans use it every month, almost half the population. TikTok offers an endless scrolling wonderland of humor, music and dancing, Tips, information, and opinions. It's all short videos posted by fellow TikTok fans and all delivered to you according to your interests. And for about 5 million businesses, TikTok is also a marketing tool.
5: This is the
1: perfect cake party package. It's taught me how to do e-commerce, how to get into shipping. And more than anything, I also use it to find my next customers.
4: Badri Nicole is the founder of a bakery in Columbus, Ohio.
1: Prior to getting on TikTok, we were struggling even to turn a profit. We've seen at least a 300% increase in profit, and it was a beautiful thing to see.
4: So if Americans love TikTok so much, why has Congress proposed so many bills that could ban TikTok? And in a hearing last month, why did Congress treat TikTok's CEO like this?
1: You damn well know that you cannot protect the data and security of this committee or the 150 million users of your app.
4: Congress has four primary concerns about TikTok. First, that it's collecting data about you. Second, they worry that kids are addicted, that they're spending too much time on TikTok. Third, they worry about what you can find on TikTok, like misinformation and violence. Of course, all of this so far is also true of Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. So what's
6: the key difference? TikTok uh, has a parent company named ByteDance. And ByteDance is a Chinese company that has to cooperate with the Chinese Communist Party. As parents, I think we would say all social media is not necessarily great for for kids, but that is a fundamental distinction in terms of dealing with the TikTok issue. Representatives Raja Krishnamurthy, a Democrat, and Mike Gallagher, a Republican,
4: are co-sponsors of one of the banned TikTok bills and their biggest worry
6: is number four. The thing that most concerns me, however, is the ability to control what storylines Americans see or don't see, and ultimately influence our elections, which could be catastrophic in the future.
7: There's absolutely no indication that this is in some way manipulated or controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. We just found that that to be a complete fabrication
4: Milton Mueller is a professor of cybersecurity and public policy at Georgia Tech. He studied the theory that TikTok's algorithms attempt to influence ideology.
7: You can find information about Uyghur repression. You can find information that ridicules Xi Jinping. It's all there.
4: In the heat of the battle, both TikTok execs and Congress members sometimes stretch the truth. Take, for example, this business of data collection.
1: TikTok collects nearly every data point imaginable.
4: Do we know what data is being
7: collected? There have been three technical studies done of this, and they basically all say it is exactly what they tell you what it is in their privacy statement.
4: Like every social media app, TikTok collects data like your phone model, its internet address, and your time zone. Unlike other apps, TikTok does not know your name. Or your GPS location. It knows only your general area, like the town you're in.
6: There are of it are
4: so where does this all leave us? Gallagher and Krishnamurthy's bill, called the
6: Anti-Social CCP Act,
4: intends to force the issue.
6: It would basically allow for two outcomes in this case. One would be a, a ban of the app uh, altogether, uh, or it would allow for a sale to an American company. Hasn't
4: somebody in your immediate circle said guys banning tiktok will be a political disaster
6: i would say allowing this to continue would be a geopolitical disaster and that to me is far more important than angering some teenagers so sell tiktok or ban it truth is selling it might
4: be impossible
6: it's worth a lot but the chinese communist party may object
4: it as for banning tiktok
7: there's probably a 90% chance that that would be ruled unconstitutional.
4: Yeah. Because That's... of?
7: The First Amendment. You're banning an information source. You're banning a publication. Now, I have to emphasize this. If you ban TikTok, it's not the Chinese government that would be silenced. It's the 150 million American users of the app. Those are the ones whose free speech rights would be violated by, by a ban.
4: But TikTok is proposing a third option. CEO Chu might have mentioned it a couple times during his testimony.
10: Project Texas. Project Texas. Project Texas. Project Texas.
4: Project Texas. Project Texas. Texas, Texas. It's a proposal to move TikTok's entire operation to the U.S. to put all of its data and even those top secret algorithms under the supervision of Oracle, an American company.
1: The bottom line
10: is this. American data stored on American soil by an American company overseen by American personnel. This eliminates the concern that some of you have shared with me, that TikTok user data can be subject to Chinese law. Congress isn't sold. I still believe that the Beijing communist government will still control and have the ability to influence what you do.
4: Mueller believes that attacking TikTok is an easy way for politicians to look tough on China.
7: TikTok is a symbolic way for these people to attack even the most innocent forms of interaction between the Chinese digital economy and the U.S. digital economy.
4: As for Badri Nicole, Uh, she's become a Save TikTok activist. TikTok even flew her and 25 other fans to Washington to join a rally against the ban. And she has some advice for Congress.
1: After the congressional hearing, it was very clear that you may not have done all of your due diligence that you owe us as your constituents. You really need to get on the app and have a better understanding of the decisions being made um, and how it's going to affect the greater good of the people.
2: You've probably heard the name. Pendleton began making its famous wool blankets well over a century ago. From Connor Knighton, we truly have a cover story.
8: Row by row, thread by thread, this mill in Eastern Oregon has been weaving wool for more than a century. It is quite literally part of the fabric of the community. The town's name, Pendleton, is stitched into every
9: product. Back in the 1880s, 1870s, there were three million sheep in the neighborhood. Well, that's a lot of sheep.
8: Bob Krissnacht is the executive vice president of sales and marketing for Pendleton Woolen Mills. In the early 1900s, the company was started by the Bishop Brothers, who came to town to try their
9: hand at the blanket business. Everything you see in this mill has a story behind it, and probably two or three stories. It's what makes us so unique is the legacy behind the patterns that we make.
8: Those patterns were designed to appeal to Pendleton's first customers, Native Americans.
5: The relationship may seem like it's just a retail relationship, but it's many more layers.
8: Bobby Connor is the director of the Temoscalate Cultural Institute, located on the Umatilla Indian Reservation, just outside Pendleton.
5: The first recorded interaction in our homeland with Euro-Americans was Lewis and Clark in 1805. We came to know a few other explorers who came in their wake, and then the Hudson's Bay Company set up a trading post in our homeland in 1816. That's where our love of wool was born.
8: Those early companies exchanged what became known as trade blankets.
5: If you've ever worn a wet leather jacket, you know the difference between the weight of that and the weight of a wool coat, and so wool was durable, worked in more than one season.
8: But it was more than a functional fabric. Native Americans began using prized Pendleton blankets to mark special occasions, a tradition that continues to this day.
5: Many are born to Pendleton, laid to rest in Pendleton, presented a Pendleton as a ceremonial blanket around the bride and groom at an Indian wedding.
8: Whenever a blanket began to show its age
5: it was given new life. We have been repurposing Pendleton wool forever. My aunt made, when I was in college, cut up and made Pendleton wool pillows as you know, sort of keepsakes from home.
8: Of course, part of the reason the blankets originally appealed to Native Americans was that they featured the types of geometric designs that were already common in indigenous art. Something that might have once been presented as borrowing today is talked about in terms of appropriation. Do you see it as appropriation?
5: The idea that I might come and take a picture of something prized and handmade that you wear and turn that into a design without acknowledging the maker, without having a relationship with the person who created it, and then taking that and turn that into a retail product, we would consider disrespectful. The respectful thing to do is to talk to me and talk about that relationship and what that might be. And that's, I think, what Pendleton in its most recent decades has become is a purveyor of goods that are created out of relationships with tribal people.
8: Today, Pendleton has added designs made by contemporary Native American artists and has a series of items that's raised over a million dollars for the American Indian College Fund. The business has also expanded
7: far beyond blankets. We're more of a a home business, and that was really important to us.
8: Pendleton CEO John Bishop has been around for over 100 years. is the fifth generation of his family to be involved in the textile industry. Pendleton started making apparel in the 1920s, but it wasn't until the 1960s when one of its plaid shirts really took off thanks to its unexpected popularity with some Southern California surfers.
7: This is the Beach Boy plaid. It was featured on the album cover of Surfing Safari. Before they became the
8: Beach Boys, the band was briefly named the Pendletones. Surfers used wool to keep warm at the beach. The
11: Dude! Who is more relaxed than the Dude? Right? right?
8: (laughs) Jeff Bridges wore a Pendleton sweater in the Big Lebowski. Today, the Dude sweater is one of the company's top sellers. Like most of Pendleton's apparel, it's manufactured overseas. But the bulk of the blanket business remains in the Pacific Northwest, where some patterns are still created with punch card looms that are decades old. Pendleton's woolen mills are some of the only ones left in a country that once had thousands. Why do you think Pendleton survived when so many other mills went out of business?
7: Because we have a brand. We're selling to consumers directly in the early 80s. There were roughly 25 mills in the U.S., and now there's three of us. All of those mills, you know, they sold to apparel manufacturers. And the apparel manufacturers, they're still in business because they moved offshore.
8: Still, that American-made product is pricey. A king blanket can go for $500. If you're looking for a blanket, you can find something at a big box store for $20. Why is somebody spending
9: hundreds of dollars on a Pendleton blanket? Well, that that cheap blanket at a big box store might be around for a few years, and then it's going to be gone. We're creating legacy products that are going to last generations. For Bobby Connor,
8: they're a way to connect with family.
5: I have a Pendleton blanket for each of my uncles who's passed away that was given to me either by the uncle during my lifetime or given to me by his family when he passed away.
8: A blanket given to mark a graduation, a marriage, or a death, is a way to tell a story. Each one provides a thread to the past.
5: It's the treasures of your life that represent the people who are important to you.
1: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
2: Jews the world over will celebrate Passover later this week, complete with recipes passed down for generations. Lee Cowan has a tale of survival that's a blessing, indeed.
9: Amidst the rich culinary landscape of New Orleans, you find a restaurant named Saba, which means grandfather in Hebrew. Its owner, Israeli chef Alon Shia, has been winning awards for his modern Middle Eastern cuisine.
10: How's everything tasting so far, guys?
9: Which is a bit odd, perhaps given that when he first emigrated from Israel at the age of four, his roots were something he'd hoped to erase. I spent so much
10: of my life trying to hide my Israeli identity. You know, at the age of four and five years old, the last thing you want to do is talk to them about this chickpea fritter that you're bringing to school when they're eating tater tots.
9: In culinary school, instead of hummus and pita, Shia went full Italian. Pastas, charcuterie, and pizzas were his passions, until that is in his mid-30s, when, on a trip back to Israel, the dishes of his youth whispered anew.
10: I realized that I was really missing out on a part of who I was, and I started cooking Israeli food again and felt like I really began understanding what my identity was as a chef. So this is cholent. It's a stew that's typically made on Shabbat. Ever since... Sometimes they'll put wheat in a cholent, but this one doesn't have any, so it is kosher for Passover.
9: He's been marinating in Israeli ingredients and their history, which one day brought him here to perhaps an unlikely place for a chef, the archives of the U.S. Holocaust
10: Memorial Museum. I was just blown away by how, during one of the most horrible moments in someone's life, that they could turn to food and
9: that food would have that power. He was both heartened and disturbed to learn that during the Holocaust, those forced into Jewish ghettos and concentration camps would write down family recipes. Not to cook, but
11: to remember. Because it reminded you of
9: home? It
11: reminded you of pleasure in this lousy place where, where you were not a human. Stephen
9: Fenves was 13 when his train arrived at Auschwitz in 1944. All the tangible evidence of his life before had been ripped away. Or so he thought. How fragile is it?
2: The text block is actually pretty sturdy.
9: To his surprise, after he and his sister were liberated from Auschwitz, this appeared in his mother's recipe book.
11: Fenves estera. My sister's... Oh, your sister signed it. When
9: Shia discovered it in the basement of the Holocaust Museum's collections... He had one big question.
10: So you mean that I could actually, like, talk to the person who remembers eating this food? And I said, yeah, well, maybe we can put you guys in touch.
9: How that book survived is just one of those stories. The Fenves family lived an upper-middle-class life in the former Yugoslavia. They employed a maid, a chauffeur, a governess, and a cook named Marish.
11: Big woman. (laughs) Uh, Very thick Hungarian accent.
9: On the day looters stormed into the Fenves home as they were being led off, presumably to the gas chambers, Marish, who wasn't Jewish, raced in to save the family cookbook, for reasons Stephen still doesn't totally understand.
11: I think she, it's just a sense of loyalty and sense of love of, uh, of the family. Pretty brave thing to do. Though. Very brave thing to do. What was the risk to her? Everything was, uh, was punishable by death. That's my mother. Such a beautiful picture.
9: When Alon Shaya heard that story, he was so moved that he set about recreating the taste of Stephen's childhood.
10: The recipes in this book aren't written like recipes like you would see in a cookbook today. So it's
9: not like a half a teaspoon of this? no, No, no.
10: Like imagine your grandmother teaching you how to make a dish, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that.
11: Essentially no heat setting instructions because this was all done on a... Cast iron stove. No, and I don't
9: have that setting yeah. on my stove.
11: <laughs>
9: <laughs> there were potato circles, a walnut cream cake, and a dish that looks an awful lot like a fish stick, but
10: isn't. He began translating the recipes from Hungarian to English, and I began cooking the food and shipping the food to him to taste for the first time in over 70 years.
5: Did you like some mustard?
11: Yeah, just a tiny
9: bit. Stephen's really whole family got involved. Yeah. In the process... That's a real thing. Fenvis rediscovered a painful, personal connection to his story that he
11: says had gotten lost over the years. It had become such a chore, I no longer broke into tears in my presentation. It just became so routine, so cold. But somehow, Shia's revival of his mother's cooking reminded him of all that was lost. He, frankly speaking... He got me out of a major slump in my duty to speak as a a volunteer survivor. How did he get you out of your slump? Made it new, made it interesting, and, and made it moving. One of the first recipes that I wanted to make...
9: Together, these newfound friends now host donor dinners, where his mother's dishes are served and Stephen speaks. We were separated at Auschwitz. So far, they've raised more than $300,000 for Holocaust conservation efforts.
11: The effect of it on me was very, very pronounced. Childhood food, uh, you know. Right. It seemed to have been something tangential that went by the way with lots of other things that went by the way. So that's it. It survived yeah. pretty well,
9: given all that it's been through. Yeah, yeah. And you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Barely. Oh, wow, look at that. Passover is about the imperative to remember. Both the good and the bad. Alon Shaya offered that gift through
11: food. And because of it... Nine out of ten on that picture died in Auschwitz. Stephen Fenvis has a renewed mission to tell the terrible tale that must be told. That's a very sad picture to mm. see.
0: To all my foot, back, and knee pain sufferers, this one's for you. Check out G-Defy, a modern footwear company on a mission to relieve knee, back, and foot pain. Every pair comes with two free custom orthotics to align your body perfectly. And their patented VersoShock trampoline technology in the heel absorbs harmful shocks and provides positive, renewed energy, empowering you to tackle your day. Don't just take my word for it. Read the countless customer reviews raving about the pain relief and amazing comfort they have experienced with G-Defy shoes. Experience pain-free living for yourself and visit com. that's G-D-E-F-Y dot com, and use code PODCAST30 to receive $30 off your order of $100 or more.
1: Do you ever
8: feel like there's nothing new in the news? You know there are urgent things happening in the world around you, but all you hear is noise. That's why we made What Next? Our goal is to tell you the stories you haven't heard before. Or maybe a different side to the story you thought you already knew all about. I'm Mary Harris, the host of What Next. And I love my job because it helps me cut through the noise of the news. And then I
2: get to bring it to you. Together, we can figure out what next. Thank you for listening. Please join us when our trumpet sounds again next Sunday morning.
0: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to CBS Sunday Morning with Jane Pauly ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before
9: you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey.
0: Stephen Colbert here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with my producer, Becca. Becca, what's what's up?
1: So The Late
11: Show Pod Show is everything you love about The Late Show on oh, a I podcast. Want, I want to know about you. Oh. I, uh,
0: enough, We've, we, people See, everybody in an ad talks about the thing they're trying to sell. Oh. I'd like to know about you, the person behind creating the podcast.
1: Oh, I'm having a really good day. Barry baked some bread, and my friend Kara got me some chicken salad. It's a really nice day in the office today.
0: Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts.